Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Good morning. Welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. It is January 21st and yesterday was an eventful day here in 2021 from President Trump leaving the White House and President Joseph Biden being sworn in. Someone who was with President Trump on his flight from D.C. to Florida is Jason Miller. He's a senior. He's been a senior advisor to the Trump 2020 campaign, and he's a principal at SHW Partners. Jason, welcome. And how was your day yesterday? Carrie, good morning, and thank you very much for having me. It was very much a, uh, a little bit of a melancholy, a little bit of a uh, little bit surreal as we're finishing up the last day of what I hope is President Trump's first term. I hope to see uh, President Trump back in the the White House again in the future. But it was a it was a beautiful moment. I think there was a celebration of everything that the president had accomplished over these last four years, and I think a lot of memories and a lot of realizations of the lives that have been changed, positively impacted by the president. And I think despite some of the media reports that you might read, President Trump was in a really good mood yesterday. He was having fun in the uh, his main cabin area there on Air Force One, and the family was coming in, and they were all taking pictures with him, and uh, Eric and Barron were standing next to each other to see who was taller, and all the, it, was, it was just fun to watch uh, all of the, uh, the Trump children uh, interacting with them, and, and the First Lady, of course, in there and taking pictures, so it, it, was a, it was a great time. So who is taller? Uh, Barron. Baron, he's he's fourteen. The guys, I asked him, uh, asked him if he could dunk yet. Uh, he said no, but I think that's just a matter of getting him out on the court. So for all the um, uh, the development projects that President Trump has had, uh, who would have thought that uh, maybe getting Baron into some basketball shoes might be his most successful? So Jason, you're you're not very subtle. You tweeted out this photo of of the White House. There, it looked like it, it was at sunrise, beautiful sunrise shot there. And you said until twenty twenty five. You put that out on Twitter. Are you telling us that President Former President Trump will run again. I hope he will, uh, and that's what I've told him that I hope that he does. And part of my effort in staying involved is to see everything that I can do to uh, to maybe help him come back and do that. But you know, the president hasn't made any sort of decision on that yet. I think obviously we have this uh, complete nonsense with the Senate impeachment trial coming up. The, the fact they're trying to impeach. A former president now shows you just how vindictive and just how bitter these Democrats are. I mean, it, here we are today, Carrie, the first full day of the Biden presidency, and everybody's talking about it being the first full day with President Trump being out of office. The Democrats in the media are so obsessed with President Trump, they just can't let it go. They want him back. They want him gone. They want him back. I guess they're bipolar at this point. They don't know what they want to do. Well, it's interesting because I was talking to Steve Cortez, who's been with the Trump campaign. He actually said if there is an impeachment trial, it could be a good chance for the president to present evidence on this issue of ballot integrity. Where's the president's head on that? 
Uh, I think on the legal strategy, I'm going to uh, uh, punt a little bit on that for the simple fact that I think it should be dismissed. I think Alan Dershowitz, I think Tom Cotton, I think a number of other legal scholars have said that it's unconstitutional the way the impeachment is written out in the Constitution to even come back and do it when someone's out of office. The whole point of it is to try to remove someone from office. So the fact that we're doing this is ridiculous. So I'm not sure if that ultimately becomes the vehicle or if that's something that becomes a path. But I don't want to get ahead of our legal strategy just at the moment. Uh, but I, I do think that when we do have this impeachment trial, again, whether it's a, a couple of days or a couple of weeks, however long the Democrats want to stretch this out, that we are going to see the partisan nature of the Democrats in the Senate right now. And ultimately, I think as Republicans, as conservatives, as supporters of President Trump, we have to make this about Joe Biden. Joe Biden wants to drag this out and have it happen on his watch. He needs to own it. So there was a headline that rippled across everywhere yesterday from The Wall Street Journal. They said that the president is reportedly considering starting his own political party, that it would be called the Patriot Party. What did you hear from the president about that? Yeah, um, <clears throat> so I haven't had any active conversations about the president in planning anything like that. And the president's very committed to making sure that we win back the House for Republicans in 2022, that we win back the Senate for Republicans in 2022. But if Republicans in the Senate were for some reason to join with Chuck Schumer and then his allies like Nancy Pelosi and Eric Swalwell over in the House in supporting some effort for impeachment, then that might be the only path forward for President Trump uh, with regard to electoral politics or with regard to staying active. Uh, but there's uh, there's nothing that's uh, that's in process or moving ahead. And President very much wants to win back the House and Senate for Republicans. But we need Senate Republicans to do the right thing. Interesting. How about this? We also heard the president is possibly considering purchasing a cable channel, something like One American News, for example, to be a competitor to Fox News. What's the president? Where is uh, former President Trump's head on that? So I think he definitely uh, wants to be back out there and have a certain platform. Uh, I think there are a number of things that he's considering. One of the things to keep in mind is that anything that he does, whether, say, if he's starting a channel or if he's if he were to go buy some company or even if he were to whatever social media platform he gets involved with next, he's going to make it. It's going to become something that gets tens of millions of people that are either signing up or tuning in on a daily basis. And it's going to be quite a big deal. But I think the president right now, this is his first day uh, that he's been out. I'm, I'm hoping that he goes and plays a little bit of golf and relaxes a little bit. He certainly earned it. Uh, but he has a lot of options in front of him. You mentioned social media. And the president even said in a statement that he might be creating his own social media network. Do you think, for example, if he creates a competitor to Twitter, will Twitter rue, like, rue the day that they kicked him off? Well, Twitter and Facebook and a number of the other companies have already lost billions of dollars of market cap space. Uh, and so I think it's really starting to uh, hurt them. But I, I think that they're so triggered that they really don't care. And I think for many of these Democrats or the big tech oligarchs out in Silicon Valley, uh, they hate President Trump that much. They really don't care if it does cost them money. But I do think that their investors and their shareholders might think a little differently. Is the president going to create a competitor to Twitter? I think he's taking a look at all of his options. I think he's looking at the available platforms. Uh, maybe there's something that he wants to partner up with. Maybe there's something that he wants to join. Uh, but I do think that it's we're not going to go too much longer until we see President Trump replatformed and getting his voice back out there again. Uh, so I, I think that's probably in pretty short order.
All right, we're going to keep an eye out on all of this. Uh, you also put out a tweet about the fact that you looked at statistics, 80% of Trump voters and 70, 76% of Republicans are less likely to vote for a senator or a member of Congress who votes for impeachment. We have to go to a quick commercial break here in just a few seconds. I want to talk about this more after the break. We're also going to talk about the executive orders. There were 15, at least 15 executive orders that Joe Biden signed yesterday, his first day in office. We're going to talk about all of that when we come back after this break with Jason Miller, who is a key advisor to former President Trump. Stay right here. We'll be right back. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. Joined again by Jason Miller. He's a senior advisor to former President Trump. He was with the president on Air Force One when former President Trump made that journey down to Palm Beach. He's here again with us. Jason, we were just talking before the break about a tweet that you put out looking at how Republicans feel about this question of impeachment. So there were 10 House Republicans who voted for the second round of impeachment. And you pointed out that 80 percent of Trump voters and 76 percent of Republicans Republicans are less likely to vote for a senator or a member of Congress who votes for impeachment. You say, I can't imagine that Republicans in the Senate would blow up the entire party in order to appease Chuck, Nancy and their allies in the media. When you're talking about these statistics, it's very interesting because the appetite for impeachment, when you look at a lot of mainstream media polls, says that, oh, oh the majority of the public want this. The PAC that former President Trump has created found that in the swing states, the majority of Americans don't want impeachment. And they say that the Republicans are undersampled. Where where do you get your data? Where can people find the best information about how Americans actually think about impeachment? Absolutely. And thanks again, Carrie. So last week, we commissioned a survey uh, with the great John McLaughlin, who's the pollster, who's been a guest on the show here before. And we want to get a sense from the battleground states of really where people were as far as with regard to impeachment. And one of the things in President Trump's final week, we found that 77 percent of battleground state voters would rather that Congress focus on the covid crisis as opposed to chasing impeachment. Sixty percent saw it as being uh, a waste of time. Forty percent actually want to go and pursue some sort of impeachment of President Trump. But what we really dug deep on was within the Republican primary and what that would look like to show what the Republican base looks like. And I think it's important, uh, going back to the tweet of mine that you put up there, 80% of Trump voters and 76% of all Republicans would be less likely to vote for a member of Congress or a senator who supports impeachment. Now, what that means is that if you're one of those, for example, one of those 10 House members who voted for impeachment last week, then you probably... Uh, are serving your last term. We're already seeing Liz Cheney have a primary opponent. I think a number of these members are going to retire. I think Adam Kinzinger, if he doesn't get redistricted, that he'll get bounced pretty uh, handily in a Republican primary. I think this is also a real clear uh, warning to any Republican senators who think that they might be uh, considering impeachment of what the ramifications are that from their own voters. And that was a key point that we want to put out there. What do the actual Republican primary voters say? And we've seen that when President Trump, who still is the biggest microphone in American politics, take a look at the poll that came out showing Doug Collins uh, leading Governor Brian Kemp in Georgia in more than a two to one clip. 
just because Governor Kemp's gotten on the wrong side of President Trump. So I think it's a real uh, it's a real warning to Republican senators that might be getting wobbly that the Republicans back home in their districts will have something to say about it. All right, let's talk about what happened yesterday with President Biden and all his executive orders. He went down, he had this booklet, you know, booklet after booklet where he signed orders on DACA, orders on sanctuary cities, orders on mask mandates, orders on student loan forgiveness, eviction and foreclosure moratoriums, rejoining Paris Climate Change Agreement, rejoining the World Health Organization, despite all the failures there with the COVID-19 containment. Lots of things here. And you also uh, pointed out a tweet here from Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller, former advisor to former President Trump, he says, today, Biden pledged to be a president for all Americans. It's unclear how all Americans are served by opening travel from terror hotspots, proposing a giant amnesty or halting the installation of security barriers along the southwest border. Where is former President Trump's head on all these executive orders? Does he feel like his legacy is being dismantled here? Well, I think a lot. Well, first of all, Kira, let's not bury the lead. Stephen Miller is on Twitter. So, folks, if you uh, <laughs> didn't realize that the great one, Stephen Miller, is now on Twitter, go and follow him. He's uh, uh, fire flames all the time in uh, the uh, Oval Office and around the White House and uh, on the campaign trail. So it's good to see him getting uh, getting his voice there on Twitter. Uh, I think President Trump, uh, it's a little bit of the a uh, little bit of the, the called shot, you know, like when Babe Ruth said, I'm going to hit the home run out there. And President Trump said that on day one, Joe Biden would come in and try to undercut many of the accomplishments and things that we've done. So <laughs> Joe Biden, for example, is wants to stop construction, any further construction on the border wall. So it, he liked plenty of walls and plenty of fences uh, around his inauguration yesterday, but not on the southern border. Absolutely not. That's just a step too far. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, Joe Biden, I think his priorities also are all out of whack. You know, the, uh, the uh, Paris Climate Accord really hamstrings the U.S., but it doesn't actually do anything to uh, that's going to bring down carbon emissions around the world. Um, and Joe Biden, day one, trying to solve the the raging uh, transgender bathroom crisis, a crisis that I didn't know existed. Uh, but folks, welcome to uh, a liberal White House. And and how does former President Trump view all of this? Is he? How does he view what Republicans can do in response? Well, a number of things can be done legislatively, but I think also President Trump looks at Capitol Hill and realizes that Democrats are in charge of both the House and the Senate. Uh, and quite frankly, though, even if we had Republicans uh, controlling much of this, they might go to block some of these things. But we see how the, the D.C. insiders are just slow to move. I mean, how many years did Republicans sit there and not do anything about Section 230 abuses? Uh, how many years did Republicans sit there on Capitol Hill, even when we had both the House and the Senate and never did anything? Anything about the uh, the spying and cheating that we saw from uh, President Obama and his administration, uh, everything they did, even in the the transition in 2016 when Joe Biden was screaming Logan Act and they were uh, all the abuses that we saw, uh, Susan Rice and a number of other things. Republicans never got to the bottom of that. So I think there's also uh, I think it fires President Trump up. I think that you know we've had really two real outsiders uh, in the presidency in our nation's history, Andrew Jackson, and then, of course, President Trump. And I think President Trump knows that if we want to uh, continue making progress in the country, we got to have an outsider like him in the White House. And so, again, he hasn't made any sort of decision. I'm hopeful that he comes back. And uh, this is just a uh, you know an unfortunate four-year stretch that we got to get through. Uh, but we need uh, President Trump back in the White House and if we're going to stop some of this.
And has, has former President Trump said anything about his plans on these questions of electoral integrity? Because that's really the, the crux here, because he can, he can plan a social media network, he can buy a cable network, he can plan legislative res policy responses to the executive orders and the like. But if he can't win an election because of the way elections are structured, it's all for naught. So has he talked about, does he have plans here to really focus and hone in on these questions of ballot integrity, on these questions of you know, the chain of custody of a ballot, on mail-in balloting, on all these changes that happened that were very last minute, that were happened, according to some arguments, without the approval of the legislature. Is he going to focus on this? Yeah, uh, another great question. This is something that uh, actually haven't been asked before, but President Trump has a number of goals over the next couple of years here. As I mentioned before, winning back the House and the Senate for Republicans in 2022 to make sure that we can stop some of the Democratic craziness. But also, President Trump, you're going to see him emerge as the nation's leader on ballot and voting integrity. And so much of this will never get done in Washington because we know Chuck and Nancy are going to do their best to continue rigging this uh, every aspect that they can. But going through a number of these legislatures. Uh, and as we saw, uh, an important thing to keep in mind, so much of our debate between the election and up until um, uh, up until a couple of weeks ago was over these Article 2 abuses from the Constitution, where only the state legislatures can actually go and set so, the so is So is Trump going to be working heavily with these states then? I would expect so, yes. I expect that President Trump will be uh, the nation's leader when it comes to ballot and voting integrity. This is something we're going to start ramping up here. Uh, not immediately. We'll give it, uh, uh, you know, we'll give him a little bit of a, a transition period. But uh, th this is critical. We have to do this. And it's got to right. come from the legislatures. All right. Jason Miller, thanks for that update. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We'll be right back with more about Biden's inaugural speech. What did he say? What does it mean for policy? We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey there, good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. So if you watched the inauguration yesterday, President Biden talked about unity. Let's take a listen and then I'm going to bring in a speechwriter expert to hear what he thinks. We must end this uncivil war that pits red against blue, rural versus urban, or, or, rural versus urban conservative versus liberal. We can do this if we open our souls instead of hardening our hearts, if we show a little tolerance and humility, and if we're willing to stand in the other person's shoes. And there's President Biden talking about tolerance and humility, calling for people to come together and an end to the uncivil war, as he describes it. Joining me to discuss this is Rob Noel. He's the founder of Washington Writers Network. He's also a former speechwriter for Secretary, uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Senator Marco Rubio. Good morning, Rob. Thank you for having me. So one to ten, what would you rate this speech yesterday by President Biden? Uh, I'd say it was a six. It was good. It was uh, it hit the right notes that he needed to hit. Wait, hey, six is that's a that's a or an F? <laughs> well, I don't know. It, it was, keep going, keep going. It, it was adequate to the moment, I thought. Uh, it wasn't particularly memorable. 
but that's okay. I thought he hit the unity points that the moment called for, and that counts for something. So when it comes to unity, a lot of conservatives said over and over, where were you the last four years? Where were you at the forefront of the Democrat Party to say, uh, okay, let's not burn down our cities. Let's not ride in the streets. Where were you? Do you want us to have amnesia here? Yeah, I'm sure he would answer that, well, I wasn't president, but uh, it's a good question. And I think, you know, those unity calls were clearly the centerpiece of the speech. And that is what the moment called for. So I think that is a good thing. But uh, here's how I think the Biden team was looking at this speech. Whenever you sit down to write a speech, the first question you're asking yourself is, who's my audience? And for an inaugural address, that's not just the American people watching on TV right now today. It's also history itself. It's people 30, 40 years from now looking back at this moment, this very chaotic, uh, very divisive, very challenging moment for the country and asking, what was this inauguration a turning point towards? And so I think it's very telling that one of the authors of the speech yesterday was John Meacham, who is a biographer, a presidential biographer, big best-selling presidential biographer. So clearly- Also a very big Trump critic, to be clear. Yes, that's right. But they were clearly looking to history with the speech and uh, they see their role in history as unifiers, as healers of the country. Now, whether those calls are sincere whether they're achievable, whether they're actionable. That's something every viewer of the speech is going to answer for themselves. Uh, and really, the time itself will tell. All right, let's listen to another segment from President Biden's speech. He was talking about this question of disunity. Take a listen to this one. To all those who did not support us, let me say this. Hear me out as we move forward. Take a measure of me and my heart. And if you still disagree, so be it. That's democracy. That's America. The right to dissent peaceably within the guardrails of our republic is perhaps this nation's greatest strength. Yet hear me clearly. Disagreement must not lead to disunion. And I pledge this to you. I will be a president for all Americans. All Americans. And I promise you, I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as for those who did. You know, it's interesting when I was listening to that, it reminded me of former President Barack Obama's speech at the convention in Boston, the Democratic uh, convention in Boston, where he said there are no red states, there are no blue states, there's only one United States of America. Yet he went on to, according to statistics, lead a presidency that was seen as one of the most divisive in American history and arguably paved the way for President Trump because so many people felt like they had been left out. So rhetorically, it seems like he hit the same high notes as Barack Obama. Do you think he'll lead differently than Obama did? Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to say those things. And it's never rhetoric that determines whether a president is divisive or unifying. It's policy that determines that. It's the substance of the speech. So you can have a speech that hits all the right notes and says, we need to come together, we need to be united. But if the policies, the substance that you're talking about in the speech are divisive, then you've got a divisive speech. That's all anyone's going to hear. That's all anyone's going to remember. Uh, so I think the executive orders yesterday that Biden enacted, you know, I, uh, in many ways, that's that's common fare for a president coming in. That's, uh, you know, we blew through that stop sign years ago as a country. The last uh, however many five, six administrations have done that. You go in, you get those easy party line wins uh, in that first day just to show that you mean business. But I think what's going to be really interesting to watch 
is going to be his speech to the joint session of Congress next month. That's when he's going to really have to lay out his policy agenda, and he's going to have to make clear whether he's going to steer the Democratic Congress away from the edges, away from the fringes, their more kind of extreme impulses and towards the center, or whether he's going to be steered by them. And so we'll just have to see. Right. Well, his cabinet picks seem to be more to the middle. And you see some of the grassroots AOC, liberal, hard left people who say these picks are too centrist. We'll see how much they're going to be tugging him left. Let's move to another topic here. You did used to work for former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And China yesterday immediately slapped on sanctions for uh, for Mike Pompeo and for a number of other Trump allies, including Steve Bannon. They uh, and also uh, John Bolton, former uh, security advisor for former President Trump and 28 people who had these sanctions. They're not allowed to travel to China. They're not allowed to do business. Their families also. And the White House, uh, President Biden's administration called these sanctions, quote, unproductive. They said that imposing these sanctions on Inauguration Day is seemingly an attempt to play to partisan divides. And so the big question here is, well, first, have you spoken to Pompeo on this issue? Do you know where his head is? I have not spoken to him on this issue, but I can tell you my my hunches and not to speak for him or anyone else, but that uh, they don't care about being sanctioned by China. One of my first bosses uh, in politics was Marco Rubio, uh, who I wrote speeches for, and he uh, he was sanctioned by China. If you go look at his Twitter bio, the very first line in the Twitter bio is sanctioned by China. It's a badge of honor uh, when you. So have, he's not allowed to go to China either. Right, right. And so, you know, I'm sure Secretary Pompeo is bummed that he's going to have to cancel his spring break plans in Wuhan or whatever. But I really just don't think that they this is going to bother any of them. Uh, It's petty. It looks thin skinned from China. And it is thin skinned. They are thin skinned. Uh, So, you know, but but here's the important point to realize about what happened yesterday. This came in response to uh, Secretary Pompeo coming out for the first time ever and calling what's happening in Xinjiang genocide, which it is genocide. And you know who immediately came out and agreed with him on that? Antony Blinken, uh, Biden's incoming Secretary of State. I thought that was a beautiful moment. That was a great American moment of solidarity yesterday. Uh, And this is a bipartisan issue. Uh, The China challenge is if, if the Biden administration is looking for a place to start with a bipartisan issue that they can bring the country together on, the China challenge is absolutely it. Um, and so there are policies like the clean network uh, that the State Department has been working on that the Biden administration can very easily pick up and, uh, and run with. And I think the country would be better for it. All right. We'll keep an eye on that uh, and see how Hunter Biden feels about that also. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Rob Noel. We appreciate it. Rob is the founder of the Washington Writers ne- Network. Uh, And stay tuned. We'll be right back with Amanda Head, our very own Real America's Voice correspondent, to talk more about the new Biden administration. Stay tuned. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. 
Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield and glad you're here with us. I am joined here on the couch by Amanda Hedge. She is a correspondent here for Real America's Voice and she was there on Capitol Hill yesterday for that very historic moment with the swearing in of President Biden. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Carrie. So take us behind the scenes. What do the viewers at home, if they weren't there in person, what did you see? What were your biggest takeaways? So so the behind the scenes thing from a media perspective, there is a building that is right off the edge of the Capitol property. You know, you've got that green area where attendees normally would be. And this building is, is I don't know, I think we were on like the 10th floor or something. We've got a great balcony, perfect view of the Capitol. As people saw yesterday from our footage, we were lined up down the whole edge of the balcony with other media organizations so everyone was getting their best footage from there. Uh, cold and uh, windy and snowy at times so it was an interesting day weather-wise but um, it was also really interesting and strange to to have this shot with the Capitol behind us and you know what we're used to with normal inaugurations is lots of, of ruckus joy and, and jubilance and excitement for what's to come and, and you know big crowd with signs and banners and you know paraphernalia from head to toe for whoever this incoming person is. And there was none of that. Um, we had, I think I estimated 150 to 200 people who were actually there for the event which included, of course, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, Kamala Harris, families of those folks, uh, administration officials or, or possible you know, nominees, incoming officials, members of Congress. So that was pretty much it. Now, that was because they weren't allowing attendees. So it's not entirely fair for us to say nobody came to Joe Biden's inauguration. Yeah, no, I, we, I, we heard uh, media reports there because there were some folks also on, yeah. on the ground. So uh, all told, I've heard media reports about a thousand people total, that but far is, fewer now that people. that is shocking. I, yeah. I, I will be transparent and, and consistent in, and honest in saying that the judging by the crowd at the Capitol is not necessarily fair. However, I will say that our hotel was, I think, 2.2 miles from the Capitol. So we had to drive into the media checkpoint and then walk from there. And we had to do kind of a, an aroundabout method because of all the barriers at practically every intersection. So we, we took probably a four-mile tour weaving through Washington, D.C. proper. Um, and I saw maybe a dozen people on the streets. Here's what's interesting, though. And I was talking about this yesterday, I think, with Raheem, talking about the the level of excitement that's that doesn't seem to be there. You know, for, for President Trump, because it kind of became a movement and because President Trump, for a lot of his supporters, was kind of like a, you know, a, a rock star type figure. People were decked out hats all the way down to their socks in MAGA gear. And I didn't see any Biden paraphernalia. Well, let me so. ask you this, Amanda, sure. as far as excitement, though, you were there with the media. Were they excited about Joe Biden? Because, I mean, that was the, that was over and over four years of the media going after Trump in ways that they had never gone Absolutely. after Obama or any Democrat. Uh, what did so you see glad. from other people, other journalists who I'm were there? I'm so glad you brought that up because I expected, um, you know, I, I supported Trump in 2016. I supported him last November. So I wasn't necessarily looking forward to being sandwiched in between networks like Al Jazeera and CNN and NBC because I, I thought that, you know, I was going to have to sit there and listen to them. Oh, and this is such an amazing day in America. It's a new dawn, red dawn. Um, so I, I wasn't too thrilled about that, but it wasn't there, Carrie. And I don't know if it's because they they were just trying to be professional and maybe they slapped on a smile on air. 
but it was really it was really strange to me. I expected more out of them as far as seeing seeing and feeling some type of happiness up there around the media area. Now CNN they had their entire set. They had heaters within their tents, and so you know. I, even though we were right next to them, I wasn't really able to hear them because um, proximity-wise, it just wasn't possible. But um, and I haven't seen their coverage since then. But it, it, yeah, it wasn't there, and I I don't know if that's because, you know, I think something that is is pretty plain to observe is that this wasn't necessarily um, a. a th- thrill up the leg for Joe Biden. It was a, a thrill for them of getting rid of Donald Trump. And so I, you know, I feel like Joe Biden getting inaugurated for them didn't really quite reach the level of excitement for people who are genuinely excited for the candidate and not just excited against another. That's so interesting. I mean, I will say just watching the journalists in the room for the first press conference with Jen Psaki, who is the spokeswoman for Joe Biden at the White House, the the level of respect and restraint these journalists showed her compared to how they treated Sean Spicer, how they treated Sarah Huckabee Sanders, how they treated Kayleigh McEnany. Mm couldn't be more stark. It's, it's yeah, night and day. It's unbelievable. And you know, the the one question I did hear, I think, was from NBC, uh, hard hitting journalism. There asked him how he felt to be in the White House, and he said, I think he said something to the effect of, you know, after four decades of trying to get here, it feels like I'm going home. Really strong journalism there, guys. Way to go. <laughs> well, and, and also the questions that were the harshest were about Trump. Yeah. Uh, un- uh, unsurprisingly, and uh, and also why wasn't Biden being harsher on Trump? Right. Yeah. Second question out the gate was about Trump. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that is something that we can look forward to in this next administration is, you know, I, I you know, Trump lived rent free in their heads for five years. If you count the, the campaign and it looks like that's, you know, they're not going to be uh, charging him rent now still. Well, we, we know he's he said himself he's he's going to be back in some form. So we're going to keep posting <laughs> on all what of that. It's going to look like we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank Always you. a pleasure to have you here. Likewise. And uh, make sure to follow Amanda Head on social media. She is uh, uh, intrepid correspondent. She was at all the Trump rallies there uh, looking great on the field uh, and on the trail. Uh, she'll be on the field again, I'm sure. I have no doubt. All right, folks, we'll be more uh, on the Biden administration after the break. We're going to take a quick commercial break and more coverage coming right up. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey there, good morning, and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, and glad you're with us here this morning, this Thursday morning, where we do have a new president, President Joe Biden. Uh, we are going to be monitoring him and holding him accountable. One of the big issues that we are looking at here at Just the News is his cabinet. And the cabinet, generally speaking, is more centrist than your average Democratic 
grassroots left-wing AOC activist. And the big question here is whether the cabinet is poised for clashes here with that wing. So the progressive Democratic wing, the Bernie Sanders of the world, they are upset. A lot of them are upset with some of these members of the cabinet that Joe Biden has named. Uh, and what's interesting is a former White House advisor, Dick Morris, who helped Bill Clinton pivot to the center after Clinton was being yanked leftward during the first two years in Cl the Clinton term. Uh, he said, Dick Morris told me here at Just the News, that he thinks the tension here between Biden and the left wing will make Joe Biden, this is his quote, the least powerful president since Carter. So according to Dick Morris, he says that Jimmy Carter uh, went through similar problems where he had this tension between the left wing of his party. That it, What's interesting is the reputation of Jimmy Carter is that he is a leftist person. But in actuality, according to Dick Morris, Jimmy Carter was actually a much more centrist person who was yanked over to the left. And what's interesting, this is, again, a quote from Dick Morris. He says that the Biden cabinet is filled with moderates who will do their best to preserve the status quo from the howling leftists outside. He said that long before he faces the problems of dealing with the opposition party, Biden will be beset by conflict among his own Democrats. The progressive wing of his party will incessantly push him to the left to satisfy their most extreme agenda. Now, for his labor secretary, President Biden has chosen the Boston mayor, Marty Walsh. Walsh is a former union leader, and Biden chose him despite the fact that he was getting pressure from liberal activists who played the identity politics game. They said that, oh, you need to pick a black person. They specifically wanted the AFL-CIO AFL labor union, uh, the chief economist there over at the AFL-CIO named Bill Spriggs, who is African-American. They said also... If you're not going to do that, then you should pick an Asian. They said you need to pick the California Labor Secretary, Julie Su, who is Asian-American. And they said you need to play identity politics. He said, no, I, I'm actually going to just go with, with a white man here uh, because I believe that he's the best person for the job. The left didn't like that. Now, over on the uh, the side of uh, the part Department of Homeland Security, uh, the nominee that Joe Biden has picked on this also is Alejandro Mayorkas. And Mayorkas told Congress during his nomination hearing that contrary to demands of liberal activists, he would not push to ab abolish the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, also known as ICE. And you'll recall the AOC wing, AOC wing of the party, they want to abolish ICE. That's one of their popular hashtags is hashtag abolish ICE. Well, guess what? Joe Biden's person says, no, we're not having any of this. He said the same thing about also the border protection, the U.S. Uh, uh, border and uh, protection custom control. He says that these agencies, quote, play critical roles. So the left wing is disappointed by this. Uh, another disappointment for them is Governor Gina Raimondo. She's from Rhode Island, and she is uh, the pick for Commerce Secretary. And here's the thing about this governor who is going to be moving over to the cabinet. She won an award in 2011 from a conservative think tank. It's called the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research up in New York. Full disclosure, I used to work for the Manhattan Institute, but the Manhattan Institute actually gave her an award when she was uh, for her service while she was the treasurer of Rhode Island. They said that she had worked to define long term retirement security through extensive public pension reforms. What that means in English is that she 
had these out of control government pensions. So you've probably heard the government workers can retire at a very young age. They, in some cases, can get very cushy retirements. In many cases, uh, you know, they, they are, haven't done very much. Their, their hours of working are not that hard. They get lots of paid holidays that people in the private sector don't get. And they get to retire at an early age and they get to go and live large courtesy of the U.S. taxpayer. And in many states, this is a big problem. In New Jersey, for example, Chris Christie, who's a Republican, did absolutely nothing to fix the public pension crisis in his own state. But Gina Raimondo in Rhode Island, she did, even while she's a Democrat. So the leftists don't like this. They say this is not fair, that it's persecuting people who are public service minded. But guess what? When you look at the, the retirement package and the salary packages of public sector workers, they actually make mo more money than people in the private sector. So on average, if you are in the private economy, a government worker on average is going to make more than you. And yet the Democrats try to say that they're being persecuted. But Gina Raimondo, who is Joe Biden's pick for commerce, she says that we need to keep this in control. Uh, we'll see if she brings that mindset. So also yesterday, the U.S. Senate voted to confirm Avril Haines as the intelligence director for Joe Biden. This was his first member of his cabinet, so his first win there. And it was an overwhelming vote. I believe it was 85 to 10. But contrary to some pushes by progressives, Haines says that the, the United States is uh, on this question of the Iranian nuclear deal. She says it was a, quote, long ways away. So removing the United States from the Iranian nuclear deal that was forged by former President Barack Obama, that was a top priority for former President Trump during the Trump administration. And it appears that the Biden administration is not clamoring to jump on board to this deal right away. So this is something that, again, the hard left is going to be upset about it. Uh, Biden appears, at least right now, to have members of his cabinet who are going to uh, be more centrist. This will be an ongoing tension that, that we are going to be tracking here at Just the News. Um, and, and, and to our viewers, I mean, what are you seeing? What are you seeing from these cabinet members? Are, are they governing more to the center? Um, this is something that will be the ongoing theme. And it could really uh, make or break the Biden presidency. How much is he willing to stand up to the hard left? Because if you look at, at the makeup of Congress, the American people voted a very narrow margin. They want the Congress to work together. They don't want a hard left policy agenda. All right, we're take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And that is Garth Brooks, the legendary singer at President Biden's inauguration, singing the song Amazing Grace. Now, this song is an iconic song. It's seen 
everywhere around the world. There's an estimate that it's sung 10 million times a year. This is something that has been passed down for just decades and, and, and centuries even. But here's the big question for the left. Are you going to cancel Amazing Grace because it was written by a former slave owner? Amazing Grace was written by a uh, John Newton, who is a British guy, and he had been a slave owner. And also, you might not know this, he actually himself had been a slave at one point as well. He's, he was a white man. He wrote this song after he gave up the slave trade. He became a Christian minister. He turned his life around, and he even fought against slavery. But he realized what he had done was wrong. He realized that his life was not defined by the worst behavior and the worst actions he had taken in his life. My question to the left, are you going to cancel Amazing Grace? Let's hope not. Let's show Amazing Grace to each other on both sides of the aisle. That does it for us. Stay tuned.